No, I mean, you know, no one, no one here has a perfect understanding of who God is. Thank you. And uh, I mean, you know, that we're all learning and we're gaining a, a clearer picture, right? It's a mind renewal process. And, um, you know, I think that and legalism is something that we're all still getting set free from. Can I get an amen? amen. And um, I used some language last Sunday that I don't feel was accurate. And I used the word punishment in regards to uh, what God did to Jesus on the cross. And I don't believe that punishment is the proper word. Um, on the, if you look in Romans and uh, you look at the actual, you know, the New Testament and the approach to it, it says that sin was condemned in Jesus' body on the cross. That's what the scripture says. And so I don't feel like God needed someone to punish, and that was the reason that the cross took place. How many know that God was getting rid of sin on the cross? And how many know that God loved his son the whole time and God loved us the whole time? Can I get an amen? But how many of y'all have heard that terminology so many times that it's kind of leaked over into your vernacular? And I, don't, I just don't think it's the proper way to present the heart of God. I don't feel like the cross was a punishment. I feel like the cross was an eradication of sin and death. God was destroying it. Amen? And so um, I, I just want to repent of that. You know, and, and I, don't, I don't think that's the right way to say it. I think there's a better way to say it. I know that there are places in the Old Testament where it talks about it's his pleasure to bruise and things of that nature. But how many know the Old Testament is not the clearest picture of the heart of God? It's not. You don't throw it away, but you've got to take the lens of the cross. No, the cro on the cross, sin was being condemned in Jesus' body. Sin was being destroyed and sin was being removed. That way, that's why he's the Lamb of God. How many know it was God's joy for the cross to set us free? Amen. And so, and I know that's a small thing, but it can be a big thing because how I many you know you don't want to present a paradigm where people are, uh, you know, afraid of God in terms of punishment and thinking that He's just out to get everybody and kill everybody and hurt everybody. How I many you know our God has come to seek and to save that which is lost? Can you get an amen? How I many know Jesus was on a rescue mission, not a condemnation mission? Amen. And I know that we've all probably heard that many, many times, but I don't think it's the clearest portrayal of who God is. On the cross, God was taking care of sin to make a way for us. I don't think it was an issue of punishment. So I just want to say that. Amen? You may agree with me, you may not. And that's okay too. Um, I, uh, last week, we were just doing a two-part series, and we're, talking, we're, we're specifically honing in on sin and just talking about sin under the new covenant. I feel like this is an extremely important teaching. Um, this is something that uh, you allude to a lot uh, when you're preaching the gospel, when you preach it accurately, because so many times when people hear the presentation of the good news, the question is, what about sin? What about sin? And, um, and so you kind of allude to it. And you talk about it a little bit while you're preaching the gospel, but I've never taken uh, you know, two sermons and just focused it on that. And I think it's really important. I think this is an important teaching uh, to have in your repertoire, uh, uh, in your own understanding. And I also think this is an important teaching for you to send to people who have questions about grace and sin. Because uh, if the gospel, when the gospel is presented accurately, many times what happens is people kind of have a misunderstanding about what's actually being said. How many know it's something that can be easily misunderstood? How you know, Jeremiah? Because the Apostle Paul was taught by Jesus himself and people misunderstood what Paul was saying, right? We talked about this last week. Um, and then Peter, talking about Paul's writing, said uh, that he had, had things that, scriptures that they wrestled with to their own destruction because it was hard to be understood. How I many know oh, grace is a kind of a hard concept to bring over into the carnal mind? 
Because everything else in this world doesn't operate on grace. The only thing that operates on grace is, is Jesus Christ. There's no religion that operates in grace, um, you know, in a biblical sense. There's, no, there's nothing else. That, how many everything else in this world operates on merit? You earn it, you deserve it, you get it, right? But in the kingdom, it's actually not like that. The kingdom, Jesus earned it, he deserved it, and he's given it to you as a gift. Your part should just believe it and enjoy it. Now, it will produce wonderful behavior out of you. It will produce faithfulness out of you. It will produce consistency out of you. But these will be fruits of a blessing that you've already received. This is not your attempt to try to earn it or deserve it. And so um, it can be a little bit challenging. But this area of sin is something that I think it needs to be talked about and um, it needs to be addressed. And so I'm not going to do any review today. So if you haven't heard that first message, I would encourage you to, to listen to it. Get on the podcast and listen to it. I know we're all busy. A lot of times I listen to messages like when I'm working out, I just pop, pop a podcast in, or you, know, you can be doing laundry or cleaning your house or whatever. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be sitting down with your Bible open. Now, that's the best way to do it, but how many know we're all busy? How many of you can do it in your car? Um, but I do believe it is a very important component of understanding the gospel and what God's doing in the kingdom, but I can't review it because I don't have time. And so uh, let's turn to 1 John chapter 1. And uh, we're going we're gonna to continue. We're going to kind of finish this little two-part series. And the title of today is, What Do We Do When We Sin? Like, this is honing in and being specific. What does a New Testament believer do when they sin? Because um, I was taught, 1 John 1, 9, um, like we had <clears throat> entire, the basis of the entirety of our theology of understanding of the restitution of our relationship with the Lord after we've sinned or made a mistake. It was all based on 1 John 1.9. And so the entirety of the teaching was it, and it wasn't anywhere else in Scripture. It was only one place. And so um, I, I don't believe it's properly taught um, uh, in, in, in the masses, you know, the, the mainstream Christianity. I feel like it's erroneously taught, and I feel like there's a better way of teaching it. Now, when I first started getting, I spent about four, I've spent probably, I don't know, I don't know, 15, 20 years in the world, you know, being a crazy man. And then um, I spent about 14 years in legalism, being a different type of crazy man. <laughs> Amen. And so, um, and so then, then I started hearing the gospel again, and I kind of returned back to my first love and returned back to grace and just understanding who the Lord was, that he was my savior and that he loved me. And, um, and it just totally changed my life. I mean, it, it's why we're here today. It's why this church is here. It's why I do the things that I do is the freedom that I have enjoyed uh, through returning back to that easy light yoke of Jesus. You know, it, the world, the li life is hard. It don't change. You're a believer, you're an unbeliever, life's hard. Harder for an unbeliever, but it's still hard for everybody. But the one thing that shouldn't be hard is your relationship with the Lord. That should be the easiest thing in your life. The Bible says, Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I mean, you know, that's the opposite of what a lot of people experience. In fact, going to church, is, is it, it, the, the burden that's placed on them in the house of God is greater than the burden that's placed on them in the world. And um, it shouldn't be that way. <clears throat> they talked about it in the early church. Peter, Peter uh, you know, said, look, man, we, we can't lay a burden on them that we ourselves couldn't bear. How I many know no one can bear the burden of the law? It's too much. One could, his name was Jesus. He bore the burden. He kept it. He fulfilled it. He paid the price for it. He placed it away. It's no longer for you and me. Amen? Now that you're, that you're a child of God, you're now under grace. You're no longer under the law. And so um, the one thing that should be easy in your life is your relationship with the Lord. And so 
when I began to hear the gospel, and it began to change my life, and the, the thing that it immediately impacted were my relationships. My marriage immediately began to change. The way I fathered my, my Ethan, my child began to change. Because how many know that you really don't understand how relationships really work until you understand grace and love? Legalism will mess relationships up and turn them into the performance traps and turn them into things that just aren't good. And so we immediately began to see like this fruit in our lives, right? And so it was just wonderful. And we started like falling back in love with the Lord and all these wonderful things. But when I saw somebody teach on 1 John 1, 9, I could not receive it. I thought, man, this stuff is good, but this right here is trash. Now, now, and the reason I struggle with it is, how many you know if you've heard something taught a thousand times a certain way, and then you hear something different, how many you know it can be difficult to embrace something different? In fact, it, it produces something in the mind that, excuse me, science calls dissonance. When, when, you're, when, you're, when you're confronted with a contrary belief to something that you corely believe, it causes, it causes like um, a, dis, a discomfort in your mind and in your emotions, right? And so when I saw the teaching on 1 John 1, I thought, man, this stuff is really good, but this is trash. And so they missed it here, and so I just kind of threw it out, right? And so I just kept going on it, but then how many know that God will work on you? And how many know it's a relationship? And when I got what I believe is a proper understanding of 1 John 1, 9, it revolutionized my Christianity. Like, it, it took me from being sin-focused to Jesus-focused. It took me from thinking that I could break fellowship with the Lord to understanding that I always have fellowship with the That's Lord. Right. And so when I got free in this area, it brought forth a freedom in my life that I had never known. It changed my entire Christianity. And so what you have to understand is this is only, this, these statements, how many know that Scripture needs more than one place to establish a doctrine? You need to have several places to establish a doctrine. But this concept is only found in 1 John 1.9. And so we're going to take a look at it. I'm going to present it to you. I, you know, we talk about it a little bit. I never take an entire message and really focus on it. But it's something that needs to be talked about because how many know you need to know what you need to do after you've sinned? You need to know what, what, you, what your next approach is. Because if you don't, then how many know if you think that you can fall out of fellowship with the Lord as a result of your mistakes, then you think you're in fellowship with the Lord, out of fellowship with the Lord. In fellowship with the Lord, out of fellowship with the Lord. That's going to produce a lifestyle of more sin. Because back in the day when I embraced 1 John 1 9, I would say, well, you know, I messed up today, so I'm just going to mess up the rest of the day. And then tonight, I'm just going to confess my sin and regain fellowship with the Lord, but I'm going to be a butthead all day because <laughs> I've already messed up, right? But when I come to find out that, how I many you know once Jesus moves in, you can't get him out? Like, you know, you may, make, you may make a mistake. Well, while you're making a mistake, he's still in there. And he's still loving you, and he's still trying to remind you who you are so you won't continue to make a mistake that's contrary to your true identity. Can I get an amen? amen? This is where grace removes the dominion of sin. Amen? amen? And so let's take a look at it, and we'll take a look at the common view initially. Um, and so 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, when I got saved... The, my entire relationship with God is based on this verse. No, so like, all right, you're saved, you're saved. So now, but when you sin, 
You've got to confess that sin. And if you don't confess that sin, then you're not saved anymore. Or you're not in fellowship with God. That's the way it was taught. Anybody else taught like that? Before, right? Okay. Now, let's, let's look at this logically for just a moment. Now, here's the thing. Paul never preached this one time. It's not in any of Paul's writings. So if this statement is true, it means that everyone that Paul ministered to ended up not being saved and ended up not being in fellowship with the Lord because Paul never taught you to confess your sin once you, made a, once you sinned. It's true. He didn't preach it once, right? And how many know that the, the two-thirds of the New Testament was written through Paul? So Paul's ministry, if this statement is true the way that we've commonly heard it, then Paul's ministry was a total failure. And, pro- and Paul probably sent more people to hell than anybody else because he gave them a false sense of justification by faith, not based upon their ability to confess sin, Right? So I'll just make that statement here. How I many of you need to bring your brain when you come to church? Can I get an amen? You need to bring your logical mind. Amen? Now here's the next thing that I'll talk about here for just a moment. And I'm not just going to present to you logic. I'm also going to take you through Scripture, right? But I'm going to begin by presenting some logic. Now, if this statement is true in the sense that we've been taught it, then that means that... Let me read it again. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now... If this statement is true and you don't confess your sin, then you're not cleansed from unrighteousness and you're not in fellowship with the Lord, then that means that you better confess every sin. Right? If we're going to believe it, we're going to have to totally believe it. How I many know we can't just halfway believe it? If that statement is true, then what, and, and how many know not just things that are born of anger or immorality or things like that are sin? How many know unbelief is sin? How many know fear is sin? Every time you're scared, sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin, right? <clears throat> so if that statement is true, then how many know your primary focus of your life should not be worship to the Lord, relationship with the Lord? Relationship with each other. How about your primary focus should be confession of sin, so you can make sure you stay saved. <clears throat> and you're better off not even being in the world, or or being a light in the darkness. You're better off sitting in the back corner of a monastery somewhere, making sure you don't sin and making sure that you confess all your sin in order to stay in relationship with the Lord. How many know there have been many people who have ended up in that spot? Sadly enough, right? And so, with that understanding, I mean, you know, if you're really going to honor this passage, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be confessing sin all the time. That's all you're going to think about is sin. Did I sin in traffic? How mad was I? Was I kind of mad? I was mad enough to have sinned. Yes, okay, I need to confess this sin. Oh, I need to confess. Oh, I was just scared right then. I need to confess this sin. Oh, I just saw a billboard and had a lustful thought. I need to confess this sin. Oh, I just... I just I gotta confess confess the sin, confess the sin, confess the sin, confess the sin, confess the sin. How many know all of a sudden I'm not looking into the eyes of Jesus at all? I'm looking at me. I am my primary focus. Am I doing well? Am I not doing well? Right? And so what it can do is it can develop into a neurotic, compulsive, fearful disorder 
of sin consciousness that will rob you of relationship with God, rob you of faith, and change your entire Christianity, which is supposed to be focused on Jesus, and instead have it be focused on yourself. Everybody tracking me here? Now, that's the presentation of, of logic concerning these things. Now let's actually take a look at the Scriptures themselves. So <clears throat> let's read that same passage and let's put it in context. So 1 John 1, 6, it says, 1 John 1, 6, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. <clears throat> but if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I want you to highlight that statement right there. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Y'all tracking me here, right? Now, so... Highlight those two statements. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us, right? Now, let's take the same book. Let's move forward a couple chapters. Go to 1 John chapter 3, and I'm going to show you what appears to be a contradiction in the Scriptures. And any time that you see something in the Scriptures that appears to be a contradiction, it's not a contradiction. We just don't understand it properly, and we've got to take a closer look. 1 John chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 4, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. Listen to this statement. Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor known Him. Now how many of you know that sounds like some contradiction here? Everybody tracking me? Right? Let's move on because he, he continues on this thought. <clears throat> Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. So, it looks like there's a contradiction between the first chapter of John and the third chapter of John. Y'all tracking me here? Well, let's go to another place in the same book. It says the same thing. Let's go to chapter 5, please. <clears throat> first John chapter 5. And in verse 18, 1 John 5, verse 18, it says, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But who who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. So <clears throat> it sounds like there's a discrepancy here or a contradiction. Now, let's, let's go back to 1 John chapter 1, and let me tell you what I now believe that the beginning part of this letter is addressing. Okay, One of the attacks against the church from the inception of the church has been a concept called Gnosticism, okay? And um, it, it, in those same doctrines of devils are running rampant in the earth today. <clears throat> it's still an attack against the church. 
And so what, what Gnosticism says is there's no such thing as sin, and there's no need for a Savior. Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. He came as a spirit. And what it says is there, there's, there's no such thing as sin. Now, how many of y'all in the world that we live in today have heard of something called universalism? That there's no need, and then people will take universalism even a step further and say that there was no need for the cross. That the cross was not for the purpose of taking care of sin and getting rid of sin. <clears throat> the cross was just something presented to us to satisfy our mental minds, but it actually didn't mean anything to God. and It didn't actually accomplish anything. Jesus didn't have to die on the cross because there was never a separation between God and man. Now, some of you may have heard that. Some of you may not. Some of this might be news to you guys. <clears throat> but anything that discredits the power of the work of the cross and said that there was no need for the cross is an absolute insult to the gift of God's Son to humanity. Right. Yeah, to, to, to water down and say there's no such thing as sin and there was no reason for Jesus to die is completely contrary to the Scriptures and completely contrary to the heart of God. If there was no reason for Jesus to die, and Jesus didn't have to die in order to take care of sin, then that means that God is the most cruel and wicked God that has ever been because he, His Son died on the cross and it didn't even need to happen. The Bible says if there was another way that redemption would come, there would have been another way. Jesus Himself said, Father, if we can find another way, let this cup pass from Me. How many of Jesus said that? Why? Because he didn't want to, he, he knew the cross was going to be intense. And, 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 the, and the intensity of the cross was not just the physical ramifications. Jesus died, Jesus became one with sin. So that, I, I believe that's what he was afraid of more than the whips and the beating of the Roman soldier. He was about to be one with our sin, right? And so he said, if there's another way, let there be another way. How many know there was no other way? It had to happen this way. Okay, now, do I totally understand why it had to happen this way? I actually don't. I just know, and I don't think that our finite minds have the ability to really comprehend, just like I can't explain to Lily why I've got to change her diaper. I mean, you know, there are some things I don't feel like God is going to explain to us fully until we get to the other side. But there's something that happened in sin that it brought forth death, and there was a penalty that happened, there was a negative that happened, and something, there was a price that had to be paid, there was a ransom. The very word redemption means something had to be bought back. We in humanity were bought back as a result of the fall. Okay, And so during their time, the enemy is always trying to discredit the cross. Always trying to discredit the cross. How many of the enemy is anti-Christ? He's not anti-God. How many of he does all kinds of dumb stuff in the name of God? How I many you know everybody in the world will get up and, and thank their God for their award, you know, in Hollywood and, and all the other oh, just want to thank God. But once you start dropping the name of Jesus, how I many you know there's a line in the sand, you're about to be persecuted. You can thank God all day. <clears throat> but when you start talking about it, because the power is in Jesus. Can I get an amen? The redemption is in Jesus. And so in the time period that, that, that this letter was written, it was not only addressing the, this church. Uh, it was not only addressing these people, it was also addressing this error of Gnosticism. I believe the first portion of this letter is written to people who were not saved, 
and who thought that they did not have sin. How many know in order to get saved, how many of the law is a schoolmaster to bring you to Christ? The law says you don't measure up, you need a Savior. And there were groups of people saying that we don't need a Savior because there's no sin. And that's where he's talking about right here. He says, if we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. God's like, you can't bypass the cross. How many of a thief tries to come up another way other, other than the cross, other than the shepherd, right? And so they were through the, the vain philosophies of man trying to circumvent the cross and saying, hey, we don't need the cross. There's no such thing as sin. Everybody love everybody. Everything's okay. There's no penalty for sin. Everything is good. That is a lie. That's right. That is not true. That's God does love everybody, and that's why Jesus died for our sins, to make a way for us to get to heaven. Can I get an amen? amen? And so there is an addressing of this issue of Gnosticism. Because how many know if, you know, I, I've done plenty of street ministry. And how many know if you come up to somebody and they're like, I don't need Jesus. You're like, no, but you do. Why? Well, because you have sin in your life. Well, I, I don't believe in sin. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. How many of you a pretty good person don't cut it? How many of you salvation is not something you earn? How many of you a gift? <clears throat> and so, in order for someone to receive the Savior, listen to me, they have to recognize that they need to be saved. What gives them the knowledge that they need to be saved? The law. The law comes. It's, here, it's the mirror. It says, Psh, have you ever stolen? You know what I'm saying? Have you, have you ever lied? Have you ever taken the Lord's name? You know, have you ever, have you ever, have you ever? How many know when you, when you weigh yourself in the balances of God's standards of morality, how many know we are all found wanting? But without those standards of morality, how many know there's no way for people to even know they need a Savior? And, and that's what universalism says. You know, if I see somebody out here drowning in a, in a, in a pond out here in Kentucky, and they're drowning, and I say, You're fine! <laughs> You're going to be fine. Now, how many know I don't care about them at all? How many know you can't politically correct someone into death and claim that you love them? How many know the truth is confrontational? The truth says right is right and wrong is wrong. <clears throat> Amen. How many know right is right and wrong is wrong? How many know truth is not relative? Amen. How many know this chair is green? You know, I can say it's blue all day long. I can say it's orange all day long, but it's green, right? <clears throat> and so the enemy would want to remove the concept of absolute truth to bring people into a slippery path of relativism. This is what I embraced as a young man in high school when I was an atheist. I, I did not believe that there was an absolute truth. I believed that truth was relative, and I would argue against it. And, you know, and I would come at it from this intellectual standpoint, but really the motive behind it was I just wanted to be immoral, and I didn't want anybody to tell me what That's to do. Right. I mean, it's the truth. <clears throat> and so, but there is a truth. And so if I'm, if I'm yelling out to the man drowning in the pool and telling him he's fine, I don't care about him. You need to say, you're drowning. You need help. If somebody's poisoned, you don't say, you're going to be fine. How many know it is? You're poisoned. You need the antidote. So how many know the, how many know the antidote is Jesus? And He's the way, the truth, and the life. Listen to me. No man gets to the Father except by Him. <clears throat> if I'm going to offend somebody, let me offend somebody right here. <laughs> I don't mind offending you with the cross. 
How many other cross is offensive? Yes, it is. It's, it, 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 and, and I'm okay with that because, like, if I care about you, then I'm going to show you the one that can save you. That's right. And I'm going to let you know that you need to be saved. But during this time period, there was a lie circulating amongst the early church that there was no need for any, that, that there was no such thing as sin. And this is what he's addressing. And that's why the language changes as the, as the letter continues. <clears throat> because the letter continues to say, if you're born of God, you can't sin. Now, what's he talking about there? Now, listen to me. How many know that once you've been saved, how many of you can still make mistakes? Anybody noticed? I certainly have. You can still make mistakes. But the, 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 the point is, salvation has come into your spirit. Your spirit is righteous. And your spirit is sealed with the Holy Spirit. Sin can't get into your spirit once you're saved. It can't. It's sealed by the Holy Spirit. It talk, talks about it being the guarantor. It is the down payment of your salvation. Now, your flesh is going to be saved. Hallelujah. Your body is going to be saved. Can't get an amen. How I many of sickness and disease and old age and all of these things are gone in the new creation? Amen. We can have church right there, right? But, but so sin can touch your body as a child of God. How I many of you know sin can touch your mind? It can touch your actions, but it can't touch your spirit. And that's what he's talking about when he's saying that those that are born of God can't sin. Are y'all tracking me here? How many know you're no longer under law, you're under grace? How many know sin is not imputed to you under grace? It's imputed to you under the law. Really important to understand. I'm not saying go out and do whatever you want to do. I just spent last week talking about the ramifications of sin. How many know when you sin, dumb, bad things happen? <clears throat> How many know in sin is death? I'm not taking away from that. But what I am saying is sin can't touch your born-again spirit. If it could, then the cross could be undid. Thank you. Great example right there. Earthen vessel. Amen? <clears throat> undid. I'm from Kentucky. How, how are you going to correct me? Come on. You, of all people. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> I pre- no, I need it. I need, I need all help I can get. I'm not... I just, I, just, I just started spelling your correctly within the last two years, oh, yeah. and that's a result of Facebook. Enough people corrected me to where finally I'm like, okay, you are your. Anyway, praise God. Humility, right? <clears throat> but what's being addressed here is Gnosticism. You cannot build an entire theology of relationship with God in the New Testament out of 1 John 1.9. On. And if you do... It's going to be a rough road for you. Because either you're going to be sitting in the corner confessing your sin all day, or you're going to give up and just go do your own thing because you think you can't live this Christian life. Amen. And see, some of you, as you're hearing this, you may, you, you know, those of you watching online, maybe some people that are in here, you may be hearing this saying, man, I don't know about this. And I understand. I had the same reaction when I, when I first heard this. <clears throat> but logically, it makes sense, and scripturally, it makes sense. Revisit it, amen, and take a look at it. Because 1 John 1, 9, from a relational standpoint, if you got to confess all your sins in order to maintain fellowship with the Father or maintain your relationship, you got a hard road ahead of you. Good luck. Seriously. And if you try real hard, then you'll fail and you'll come to grace. But if you just approach it like, ah, then you can probably handle it. But if you're honest with yourself, and every sin must be confessed, 
then it, sh it should bring you to your knees, right? I live that road. And, and I tell you what, it doesn't produce good fruit because like, let's say 8 a.m. in the morning, you're driving, you get mad at somebody in traffic. That's always the cool sin to talk about, right? You get mad at somebody, so you make a mistake, right? So you're like, so now you think that you've broken fellowship with the Lord. Or let's say you got an argument with your spouse or a coworker, right? And so now you think, I've sinned, I've broken fellowship with the Lord, I'm not in fellowship with the Lord, so I'm just going to be in the flesh all day. <clears throat> and then tonight, when I go home, I'll confess all my sins and I'll get back in fellowship with the Lord. How many of you know that's dumb? But how many of you know many of us did that? I did. I'm like, ah, I'll be better tomorrow, but I'm going to be a total jerk today. <laughs> because not only have I broken fellowship with the Lord, I'm mad at the people that brought me to the place to break fellowship with the Lord. You follow me? Like, and, and I'm mad at myself too. How many know that does not produce a lifestyle of godliness? You know what it produces? This. I'm so awesome. I'm awful. I'm so awesome. It's a roller coaster ride, right? That is not going to bring a sense of balance, continuity, and consistency in your relationship with God or in your, your, the, the, the outworkings of your Christianity. Amen? So, if that's the case, what do we do when we sin? Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, please. What do we do then? If we're not supposed to, you know, confess every sin in order to be forgiven, what, what, what do we do as New Testament believers? Well, I want to cover this first, and I want to um, just encourage you in this. Um, how many know that as a believer, you're calling, number one, and we always say this in an understanding of the gospel, how many of your number one things to receive love from God? Right? It's your number one thing. But your number two thing is to let the love that you've received flow out of you. How many of you are called to walk in love? Right? How many know walking in love is what makes us different? How many know that, that our differences shouldn't be spotted just in our clothing and how long our hair is and what kind of bumper sticker we have? How many know our true differences should be the character of God in our lives? I'm talking about love. How many know you will know them by their fruit? Talking about love. You're called to walk in love. Amen? Now, you're not called to do it in your own strength. You can't do it in your own strength. Don't try really hard to love. You'll fail. You just present yourself to the Lord to fill up your cup with love. And as He loves you, that love will spill out and flow into other people's lives. Can I get an amen? But how many know as love is, is influencing and dominating your life, how many know sin stops being the dominant influence in your life? We talking about Jeremiah. How I many you know if I'm loving God and loving people, sin's not really running me anymore. So how many know that as a believer, you're not called to be dominated by sin? How many know you're called to be dominated by love? Right? Amen. <clears throat> so Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love, as Christ also loved us. And gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. How I many of you are called to walk as the Lord walk? Amen. How I many you're called to forgive as the Lord forgave? Amen. You're called to walk in love. So that's your calling. That's what you're called to do. That's really you're commanded to do it. You're commanded to do two things in the New Testament. You're commanded to believe and you're commanded to love. You get your love from proper believing. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? I can't, I don't want to spend too much. I love teaching on this. I have to be careful not to teach too much of it. But you are going to, when you believe in the finished work of the cross and you believe in the love that God has towards you, it's going to fill up your cup 
and allow you to receive love. How many know we love because he first loved us, right? <clears throat> so as you receive love, love's going to flow out of you. Amen? So that's, that's key. But you're called, to walk, you're called to walk in love. Now turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, please. So when you do sin, how many know, and when you do make a mistake, how many know you need to make it right amongst those that are around you? Right? You know, when you eat all the Nutter Butters, you need to go to the store and buy more Nutter Butters for the family. Right? Amen? And you need to tell everybody you're sorry because you ate all the Nutter Butters. I've been, doing, I've been doing that. I'm buying the Nutter Butters. I've been eating the Nutter Butters, but I've been buying the Nutter Butters too. <laughs> I mean, you know that when you act like a jerk, you need to own it and apologize. I mean, you know, you're not right with God to the point that you're exempt from responsibility in other people's lives. I mean, you know, people, people can lose sight of the love walk in embracing their righteous identity and think, well, I'm right with God, I'm forgiven. So I'll just do whatever I want. How many of you know that's not true? No, it's not true because the, 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 you have freedom and you have liberty, but your freedom and liberty is, is really constrained and compelled by love. Paul said the love of God compels me. How many of you know God's love for you will change the way you treat people? How many of you know God's love for you will change the way you treat people? I mean, you know, God's love for you will change the way you treat people. And when you screw up, you need to own it and apologize. Can I get an amen? Right? You can't, you can't pull back off of that. That's a fact. Now, but when you mess up, it doesn't change the way God feels about you. And it also doesn't undo the cross. But God will empower you to do the right thing. I mean, you know, God will empower you to do the right thing, right? I mean, when the woman was caught in the act of adultery and Jesus came and said, neither do I condemn you, and he gave her the gift of no condemnation. He gave her that gift, but he also said, go your way and sin no more. He said, don't keep doing it. <clears throat> Amen. How I many you know the gift of no condemnation is what empowered her to walk free from the dominion of that sin? Can I get an amen? Boy, when you receive a forgiveness you didn't earn and you didn't deserve, it changes your heart and it changes your life. But the Lord is concerned with your conduct. The Lord is concerned with the way you treat people. Your spirituality is not displayed in how well you preach or how well you sing or how often you come to church or how much you give or any of these things. Your spiritual maturity is a reflection of the way you treat the people around you. Not the stranger. I mean, anybody can be nice to a stranger. It's how you treat those in your own house. I mean, in legalism, we got that inverted. We, we, we would put on a show on Sunday. So nice. Smell so good. Right? But then kids would see their parents treating, each, treating them like crap and treating each other like crap. How many know that, that, that puts some real questions in a kid's mind? Right? How many know legalism doesn't... Legalism hides a lot in the closet. Behind a pointed finger and behind a show, right? <clears throat> no. If our gospel doesn't work in the home then it's not working anywhere. I mean, it's got to work in the home. It's got to work in the marriage. It's got to work with the kids. It's got to work with the way that we carry ourselves. Can I get an amen? How many of you are someone that understands grace? You almost have a greater responsibility to carry yourself differently so that you won't bring reproach against the gospel. Praise God. I'm not trying to put a bunch of burden on you, but I'm just being honest with you because if people that know you're grace people, they're watching you. They're like, oh yeah? You're forgiven, huh? Let's see how you act. I mean, you know, it's, it, it's, you, 
good works glorify your Father. Right? Amen. You have the ability to operate in good works because you understand that your works don't earn love from God. You do good works because God loves you, right? And it becomes something that glorifies God and it, and it, and it, and it helps people. I am accidentally holier under grace than I ever was under legalism. I'm so much better person. I'm always, I'm, I'm always, I'm, I love to give. I love to help. I love to love people. Not because I have to, because I enjoy it. <clears throat> for real. Like, for, it's fun. Like, it's awesome. It's really fun. Now, I'm not always a bed of roses, am I? I'm not. I have my bad days. I mean, come on. Let's be real. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we, we have grumpy. I was grumpy yesterday. I came home from the gym, and I was grumpy. And I was. I was grumpy. I was grumpy, and I, I, I snapped at Stacy, and then I, and I also snapped at Eli. But you know what I did? I repented later, and I was just like, look, guys, I'm sorry. And I apologized to my wife, and I got back in it. How many know just because you're born again don't mean you don't have a flesh and don't mean you don't have bad days? You got ups and downs, right? But because I failed, it didn't make me get under condemnation about the way God felt about me. I knew God loved me, and God was going to rescue me and pull me out of it. Can I get an amen? But I also knew I needed to talk to my wife, and I needed to say, look, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have spoken like that. Now, I didn't have to do that in order to be forgiven by God. But I did that because I am forgiven. And I want to treat my wife with respect that she deserves as my wife. I didn't yell at her or anything like that. It was short. It, was, it wasn't some big, huge deal. But it was still something, right? And so I say that because, you know, when I finally saw a preacher that was transparent about his, his challenges, I thought, That's, I like that person because it's the first preacher I'd ever seen in my life actually act like they had problems. Because I'd spent 14 years looking at preachers act like their poop did not stink. And I was like, this is not true. <laughs> took me 14 years to realize it wasn't true. But how many know people are people? And we all need Jesus. And there's no one in this room any better than anybody else. Can I get an amen? So, we're called to walk in love. What do we do when we sin? Well, let, let's, let's take a look. <clears throat> and we talked about this last week. And remember how... Paul was correcting sin in the uh, Corinthian church. Remember the Corinthians were doing crazy stuff, and, and Paul corrected them, and then after he corrected them, he's like, all right, restore this guy back into fellowship, right? Let's look at an aspect of that. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he's still talking along those lines. I didn't dig into it, but I felt like I needed to visit it real quick. It says, for, for even if... For even, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, not only for a little while, though only for a little while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to change. How many know there is a godly sorrow? I'm not talking about condemnation. I'm talking about like I messed up and I'm sorry. Can I get an amen? Amen. <clears throat> For you were made sorry in a godly manner. Everybody say godly sorrow. I talked about it a lot in gray circles, but it's a real thing. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance. Godly sorrow produces change. I mean, the word repent means to change. Leading to salvation. How I many you know soteria, salvation, rescue, is the product of you admitting you're wrong and you saying, I need help? How I many you know his strength is made perfect in your weakness? If you have no weakness, God has no strength for you. But you do have weakness, and we all have weakness. <clears throat> for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, 
not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. How many of you know the world has a sorrow that produces death? Because the world's sorrow comes with condemnation. The world's sorrow says you are bad and you will always be bad. How many know that person can't change? Godly sorrow comes and says, you are good, and I am good, but what you did is not, and you need to change, because you're better than that. Can you get an amen? That's how we correct our children. We, and and, and we, we, when we, we correct our children, we always confirm their identity and who they are, you know? And when I, when I yeah. And so you, you have to be careful. How many know you want to do that? Because how many know if you correct someone's identity, you can crush them? If you come at them like, you're bad and you're always going to be bad, why can't you be better? That is not going to change anybody's life. Mm-mm, no, it won't. That's not godly sorrow. That's worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow will kill somebody. <clears throat> for obs- not to be regretted, for, for the sorrow of this world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. Godly sorrow, did something wrong, I'm sorry, godly sorrow. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourself, what indignation, what reverence, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. What happened? Godly sorrow did its work and brought forth real living change. And we talk a lot about how the goodness of God leads us to repentance And this godly sorrow, listen to me, is the goodness of God. Can I get an amen? How many know understanding that you're loved and forgiven and under grace does not absolve you from responsibility on how you treat people and the things that you do? And if you think that it does, you don't understand it yet. Or you need to increase your understanding of it. Right? What we do matters. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 4, please. I would love to be able to finish this teaching today, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to. So, once again, what do we do? What do we do when we make a mistake? What do we do when we sin? Well, we've established the fact that you don't have to confess your sin in order to be forgiven. How many know you've received an eternal forgiveness, right? That forgiveness has been given to you not as as the product of your identity. How many of you are born again? How many of you are a new creation in Christ? How many of you are joined with one spirit with the Lord? How many know you've received the Lord's righteousness has been given to you? How'd you get it? Well, you stepped into Christ. I was a drug addict, alcoholic, atheist, lunatic. I was dead. I was spiritually dead. I received Jesus as Lord and Savior. I am now in Christ. I am now as right with God as Jesus is because I am a part of Jesus' body. Can I get an amen? Jesus' righteousness has been given to me as a gift. He that knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. Right? It's the product of identity. So that identity is not going to be taken away from you when you make a mistake. So the the, the solidness and the stability and the faithfulness of your salvation is not based upon your ability to confess every single sin. However, before you are saved, you must recognize that you have sin and you need a Savior. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the work of the law. And that's where is the law is the schoolmaster to take you by the hand and lead you to the one that can save you and cleanse you. Can I get an amen? Right? <clears throat> so, what do we do, right? <clears throat> what do we do? What do we do when we make a mistake? Confession of sin is not necessary in order to maintain forgiveness. Now, there are times when I will tell the Lord that I'm sorry. When I mess up. Just because I am. Not because He needs me to say it. 
in order to be forgiven, but because I am sorry and I did the wrong thing and I didn't act like myself. When I went to my wife and I apologized to her yesterday, I didn't have to apologize to her in order to stay married. I didn't have to apologize to her in order to stay loved by her. I, I apologized to her because I love her and that was, that, I wasn't acting like myself. Amen? And it was just the right thing to do. You know, when, 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 uh, when, when, Eli, uh, when Eli does something, you know, I always lower my voice, right? When Eli does something and, and uh, you know, he gets mad or whatever, he has to say he's sorry. Right? That's a, like, that, that's a part of the process. He has to recognize he's done something wrong. You know, because right now his sister's all up in his business. Like, big time. Like, like she, if he's got it, she wants it. If he's playing with it, she wants to be there. And, and, and God love him, he's developing some four-year-old character right now. He'd be like, Dad, can you just get her for a little bit? I'm trying to play cars. You know, and, and Lily's over like, ah! She's like, I'm playing cars too, you know? And so, like, periodically, he won't handle it properly, right? And, but now, how many know it's important to, for him to recognize that what he did is wrong and it's unacceptable? He needs to say he's sorry. And then we need to let him know that's our job as the authority over his life at this stage in his life. That's not who you are. You're not an angry child. You're not whatever. Let me tell you who you are. This is who you are. Follow me. Those moments of correction are very important moments. They must happen. How many of you a child without correction is not going to succeed in life? The correction, the love is correction, right? <clears throat> but it must be done in such a way that their identity is confirmed. But how many know it's important for him to own it and say he's sorry? Right? Now, he doesn't say he's sorry in order to remain my child. He's my child whether he says he's sorry or not. And there are times when he says he's sorry. There are times when he don't want to say he's sorry. Right? He's still my child no matter what. How many know my door's open to him whether he says he's sorry? How many I'm his dad whether he says he's sorry? I, 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 you know, you love your kids, right? Like, there's nothing you can do to get me not on your team. Like, I'm always on your team. I don't care where, where you're at or what you got going on. If I'm that faithful to my kids, how much more is God that faithful to us, right? <clears throat> but it, it's important for him to understand that he's done something wrong and to own it and to apologize for it. How I many of oh, that's growth on his part, right? <clears throat> and so, because there's an element of accountability. There's a element of, of, of that's wrong. How I many we live in a society where they're trying to remove the concept of right and wrong? And that's why there's so much lawlessness. No, there's right and there's wrong. And when you screw up, you need to say sorry. You need to own it, right? And so, and so the confession of it is not what secures your forgiveness, right? Right? <clears throat> your forgiveness is confirmed in, in now your identity. So the issue after you sin, you need to take care of all your horizontal stuff. Anybody you've messed over or whatever... You need to own it and say you're sorry and move on, repent, change. Godly sorrow, I shouldn't have done that. That's not who I am. But now you need, to, you need to switch gears and you need to kick up a gear and go into identity. Because identity is going to keep you from doing it again. Can I get an amen? Uh, so if, did y'all go to Ephesians chapter 4? I don't know if I told you that or not. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4 and in uh, verse 17, it says, This I say therefore... And testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. How I many know oh, your conduct is important? We shouldn't be acting like Gentiles, right? We're different. 
in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over into lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard of Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, right? How many of you know there's a change that's happening in our lives? And the change that happens in our lives, we're embracing now who we are in Christ. You know how I got set free from drug addiction? I realized I wasn't a drug addict. I realized I was a child of God. I embraced my identity as a child of God, right? You know how you're going to get set free from anger? You're not an angry person. You're a child of peace. Can I get an amen? You know how you're going to get set free from all that junk that tries to run your life? It's not who you are. As he is, so are we in this world. Jesus has become your new identity. Now, you're never the head. He's always the head. Can I get an amen? You're not the boss. You're not, you're not. As he is, so are you, but he's the head. He's the boss. And people get weird when they start losing sight of that. No, you're, in, you're the body of Christ, but you're not the head. He the head. Can I get an amen? And people get weird when they start being like, well, I'm, I'm just like Jesus. Well, I mean, you are, but you're not. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, you are, but you're not. <laughs> because he is the boss, and what he says goes. Can't get an amen? That's where you want it anyway. He's smarter than we are, right? Amen. Amen. And so he says, put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. When you sin, you need to make sure you put on the new man and remind yourself who you are. <clears throat> That's how the prodigal son didn't go back to the pig pen. He didn't beat him up when he came home. What did he do? He put the robe on him. And said, this is who you are. He put the shoes on him. This is who you are. He put the ring on him. This is who you are. I'm your dad. You're my son. You're not here to work for me. You're here to receive. It's that identity embracing that breaks the power of sin off of somebody's life. And when, the reason people get wrapped up in sin is they forget who they are. How do you know, Jeremiah? James, book of James. It says, if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer, you've forgotten who you are. You're like a person looking in the mirror and walking away and forgetting who you are. People that are being dominated by sin that are Christians have had an area of their life where they forgot what they look like. And the enemy has tried to... How many know when you make a mistake, the enemy is going to try to drive that mistake home and make it a part of who you are? See, look at you. You're just a... This. You're just a liar. You're just an angry person. You're just a lustful person. You're just a thief. You're just a, you're just a, you're just a. What is he trying to do? He's trying to make one failure become your identity. Because if you, can, if you embrace a false identity, it's going to take you to more failures. <clears throat> Y'all tracking me here. So when you, when you sin, apologize to who you need to apologize to. How many of y'all sometimes you need to apologize to yourself? Because a lot of sin isn't, isn't transgression against other people. It's transgression against yourself. Amen. And then you need to put on the new man. Quick. And don't wallow in an ungodly sorrow that will lead to death. Come on, condemnation. I don't tolerate condemnation. I hate condemnation. I have a... 
the Lord God Almighty has developed a hatred for condemnation in Jeremiah Johnson's life. And if you spend any time around me, you know it. Why? Because I watched it kill my family. Not my immediate family, but my extended family. Depression and condemnation and all that stuff. And I watched it try to kill me too. And uh, no, no, no. My Savior took all the condemnation. I don't have to live under condemnation. Jesus Christ took it. You can't take it. Nobody can take it. Nobody can stand up to condemnation and take it. No, only the cross can take the condemnation. Amen? So we don't to- I don't tolerate any condemnation at all. However, though, godly sorrow is healthy. And it's good. It's okay to feel sorrowful for stepping out of who you are and doing something stupid. So apologize for the stupidity and step back into the reality of who you are. Put on the new man in righteousness and true holiness. Right? Because we're not going to turn there, but for sake of time, we will turn one other place and we're going to close. Uh, turn to Romans chapter 4. I'm trying to be so much, I'm trying to be better with my time. So, identity, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34, you don't have to turn there. Awake to righteousness and sin not. How many know when you wake up to who you are, sin loses its power over your life? So when you make a mistake, don't identify with it. Go back to who you are, right? I know I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but I want to get it inside of you. Romans 5.17 says, They which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. How many know when you are reigning with Jesus, sin's not? When you are reigning with Jesus, death is not, right? That word, this is important, okay? How many know you can't live your life on one breath? That's <gasps> all you get, one breath. How many of you going to have a short life, right? You need a couple more breaths, right? You are made righteous by faith through receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior one time. That's a one-time event. You don't get saved over and over again. We're not going to cry down here at the altar and beg God to save us after we're already saved. How many of you get born again one time? Amen. Did a good job. Can't undo it. Can't mess it up. <clears throat> However... That receiving righteousness as a gift is in the present perfect tense in the Greek, and you need to regularly receive the reality of Jesus as your righteousness. Because if if you don't, you're going to forget who you are. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why the gospel is so important. Because every time you hear the true gospel preached, your righteousness will be presented to you afresh and anew as a gift and placed in your mind. That's why it says that uh, that the gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation. You got to hear the gospel over and over and over again because you got to be reminded of who you are because you have days when you don't look like yourself. Like I had a day yesterday when I didn't look like myself. You know what I'm saying? Look like, you know, whatever. How I many of you know the enemy always tried to bring you back to the person you used to be? And, you, and, you, and, you, and you, the old man tried to rise up and all that stuff, old woman, whatever, the old person. <clears throat> And the gospel comes back and shows you a new mirror. Not the mirror of the law, but the mirror of the image of Christ. As you behold it, you're changed into the same image from glory to glory. The gospel says, look at Jesus. He's awesome. Look at you. You're inside him. (laughs) Woo! That was loud. Sorry. So good though, man. Gosh, it's so good. So good. And this is our Christianity. Look at Jesus. You're inside of Jesus. Amen? And he, He's in you and you're in Him. That's your identity. 
So in order, so after you make a mistake, what do you got to do? You got to put on the new man. Now, we see the greatest example of this, and we're closing right here. We take a look at the life of Abraham. How many of you know that, and we're closing right here. How many of you know the gospel was preached to Abraham first? Right? What happened? God presented a promise to a man. Not a man who earned it or deserved it. How I many of you know he was out worshiping the moon when God found him? God said, God promised him children. Right? He believed him. And then the Lord imputed righteousness to him. So for the first time, we see a man receive a promise by faith. And God said, this is what the gospel looks like. How many of you know in, the new, in, in, in our day and age, how many of you know it's the same thing? God's promised you something. He's promised to save you. Through who? Muhammad? No. Buddha? Confucius? No. no, Jesus Christ. And when you believe that, simply believe it, don't earn it, don't deserve it, just believe it, how I many you know, and now in the New Testament, righteousness isn't imputed to you. You become a new creation in Christ Jesus. You become the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen? Abraham had it set to his account. Now you got it. If you only knew who you were. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're, the, you're right with God. And if you're right with God, nothing this world can throw at you is greater than the one that's inside of you. How I many you know greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? Amen? But here's the thing. That Abraham, that God did with Abraham, he did he did one thing. Listen, this is this is key. This is what you do. This is important after you sin or make a mistake. He said, "I need you to change what you say about yourself. Your name is not Abram any longer. Your name is Abraham." He had the. It's the Hebrew letter for grace. It's the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Five is the number of grace. He put grace in his name. He did the same thing from Sarah. It wasn't Sarah, it was Sarah, right? So you guys get a... So Abraham could no longer say about himself that he was fatherless. Every time he spoke, he had to speak in line with the promise. God said, I don't want you talking about yourself like that anymore. I don't want you to call yourself barren. I don't want you to call yourself uh, childless. No, no, no. I have made you a father of many nations. I know you can't see it. I know you can't see it. I know you can't see it. But this is where we get that scripture, calling those things which be not as though they are. This is where rubber meets the road. This is where faith happens. God said, I know you can't see it, but you say what I say. So after you sin... You say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You put on the new man in righteousness and true holiness. You put on your identity and you break the power of that sin off of your life and you walk free from it because it's not who you are. How I many of you it looked like Abraham was childless? It looked like he was a foolish old man. It looked, it looked, it looked. You're going to have times in your life when it looks like you're not right with God. But you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to honor the cross? Or are you going to honor your failure? That's it right there. Honor the cross and see if it won't pull you out of your failure. And put a new song in your heart. 
And put one foot in front of the other. Put your shoulders back. You're not a slave. You don't belong in the pig pen. You don't belong in sin. You're a child of God. So you say what I say about you. And God says you've been made righteous by the blood of my son. And you will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Testify that the cross was a success. Out of your mouth. Got to get in your mouth. Got to get it coming out of your mouth. You got to say it. It's where the power comes from. How'd you get saved? You said it, right? How do you maintain the reality of your identity? You say it. If you're going to speak contrary to what God says about you, how in the world are you going to inherit any promises? Because you're lying against the truth. And that goes for every single promise of God. From healing, financial provision, safety, protection, you name it. How many of all the promises are yours? The past one and the future ones. He said, that, see, because how many of this new covenant is on better promises? You know what it means? It means you get them all. If you can find one tiny little nugget of a promise somewhere in Leviticus, take it. <laughs> He paid for it. I know other people say, well, that was written to Israel and all that. No, all the promises are yours. If you got the guts to, to eat and take it, how many of Jabez did that? Jabez stood up and said, I'll take it. God loves that stuff. You want youth renewal? It's there for you. Take it. You want to have more kids? We took it. Praise God. <laughs> We're good, Lord. <laughs> we cut this thing off. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> But I'm telling you, like, they're all yours, and they're yes and amen in Him. Not you, in Him. He's your identity. He's your righteousness, right? But you got to speak in line with what God says about you. So when you make a mistake, right, you make a mistake, you don't have to confess that mistake in order to stay forgiven. Now, you're forgiven. If you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're forgiven before the mistake, and you're forgiven after the mistake. And for those of you that's been taught that forever, that probably causes some dissonance. It did in me too. But I'm telling you, when you embrace this, it's going to change your life. But you need to make right what's around you because you're called to walk in love. Can I get an amen? And you need to let godly sorrow work in you because what you did was wrong and that's not who you are. Can I get an amen? Apologize to who you need to apologize to and walk, step away from that behavior. Real repent. Repentance is a change of the mind. Can I get an Amen. But it don't just change the mind, it changes the behavior. When you change your mind, you change the way you act. It's the truth. I mean, it is. We're not trying to do sackcloth and ashes anymore. Repentance is just, you know, if I'm going this way, being rude, I need to turn it around and go back this way and be kind. That's repentance. It's not this emotional sackcloth thing that I do on Sunday mornings. It's just change your mind, change what you're doing. Can I get an amen? Make your life better, right? And then the next thing, put on the new man. In righteousness and true holiness. Out of your mouth. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Right? This thing don't own me. This is not who I am. This failure is not who I am. Can I get an amen? Because the enemy is always going to try to, 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 to tag a false identity on you. To do it through your failure. Oh, you did that? Oh, look, see, that's who you are. See, all those other people, they're like that. But you, you're like this. Look what you've done. Come on, man. 
He talks to everybody in this room like that. Let's turn the lights on him. He's a liar. That's not who you are. Amen. That's not who you are. No, no, no. You have a new identity. You're, you're one with Christ. Can I get an amen? So, in conclusion, when you've sinned, take care of what you need to take care of, but get back to who you are and confess your righteousness. Amen. You need to confess your righteousness after you, after you failed. And I'd encourage you to confess it before you fail. Because it'll help keep you from falling. Because when you awake to righteousness, you sin not. Amen? Everybody got that? Man, that was clear. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Ah, so thankful. Praise God. Amen. I'm grateful. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Amen. It's good. It's good. That's not head knowledge. That's my life on the table. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that, and that's why there's power in it. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm not just preaching. This is this is what I live right here. You know, Amen. And not because I fabricated it, because the Lord taught me how to do it. Amen. Amen. I'm grateful. Yeah. When I stopped, I stopped asking for forgiveness, and I started saying, "Lord, I'm sorry." He who knew no sin became sin that I might become the right. I said that every day for almost three years, mm-hmm. and then finally, my my the holy my mind got renewed to it. Yeah. And then as I renewed to it, the power of the truth that was already in me, I started to live out. It's good. And it it's, it's a life changer, man. It, when your identity is secure, that's when freedom comes. That's where that's that launching place for you to experience true freedom from sin. It's good. Is when you know who you really are. It's good. And it's it's in him we live and move and have our being. Yeah, come on. And I can testify wholeheartedly that this is this is the gospel. Yep. It's not sitting here and begging God for forgiveness. Yeah. Forgiveness has already been given. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Forgiveness is forever. Forgiveness has been established. God's not sitting there. He is not holding sin against man. Hebrews mm-hmm. makes it absolutely clear. Let me say something real quick. A good portion of the church has been built on the withholding of forgiveness. Yep. You see these big, massive cathedrals? Millions of dollars withholding forgiveness. Yep. You're only forgiven if you send in enough money. Yep. You're only forgiven if you come to church enough. Yep. You're only forgiven. And so there's a great portion of the body of Christ, I don't even say the body of Christ, let's say the church, that has been developed through dishonoring the cross. And it's not the kingdom. Anyway, now hold on. Y'all are wanting to talk, and so take a mic and talk. Yeah. You will will never be able to live in unconditional love as long as you treat, treat forgiveness as a commodity. Yeah, it's good. Come on, forgiveness is a gift. Mm-hmm. That's been given because of what Jesus did for us. This was the whole point of the cross. Yeah. Is Jesus took everything we deserved. That's good. Everything everyone ever deserved. Yeah. That's the power of it. It's good. So that levels the playing field for everyone. That levels the playing field. That's where justice and righteousness mm-hmm. and is, is all met in that. That's why we can now love one another. Mm-hmm. Based upon what we've been given, mm-hmm. not about what we are owed to one another. 
good. Changes the dynamic. It of changes. Everything. It changes completely. Changes the dynamic, and so many people in the church. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm so passionate about it. Are, are in bondage and in chains and going in and out and struggling and, and 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 honestly, this is the root of depression. Oh, I know, man. Like, and and the reason we have to come back to this daily and be reminded of this and have your mind renewed it because the world does not operate in this system. The world operates in the system of condemnation. Yeah. The kingdom of heaven doesn't operate that yeah. way. And a good portion of the church does. And too. a good person so you have yeah. to be reminded because yeah. if you don't let your mind be renewed to it daily, mm-hmm. you can slowly slip into that same system. Sure. And it's it's so important that you just get your mind renewed to a day because it it you can not that you lose forgiveness but you, you lose an awareness mind, of it. Your, your awareness you of it. You got to keep your windshield yeah. clean. Yep. <laughs> Please, Casey. Can I share sure. So, Jeremiah always talks about speaking things out loud. When I first got here, I remember they sat me in a chair and he wanted me to say that I was clean and I thought he was crazy and it was weird and I refused to say it because I didn't believe it. I'm one of yeah. those people that I'm not going to say it if I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. And then over time, listening to him preach over what we've been friends nine years, um, I started, I think, like a year, year and a half ago, randomly, without even thinking about it, just starting speaking things out loud. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that man's getting to me. <laughs> so I, I just continued to do that. And then I'm a person that I have so much going on in my head, sometimes I have to vent it somewhere. And um, I believed for a long time, because of some of the stuff I went through, that God didn't even want to look at me, let alone talk to me. And I went to write those things down. And before I could write it, like it felt like this hand on my chest, like my whole being fought against me putting this, writing this thing down. And... I know it was a good hard five minutes because I touched my screen five times to get it to come back up. But um, when I wrote it, it was like everything inside of me screamed that this was wrong. And I, I learned that moment that everything that I'd been telling myself out loud, because it's good to hear things out mm-hmm. loud, mm-hmm. had changed that core belief. So even though at the moment I was feeling like God had kind of abandoned me and was angry with me, my core being did not believe that. That's excellent. And so I ended up actually deleting it. But um, that's just kind of a testimony to... He's not as crazy as I thought he was. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, it's, it's scripture, so it's not my idea. Um, let me say this real quick, though. How many of you know it takes time to change a core belief? Yeah. And you have to reprogram the way you think. And, and, and the quickest way to that is speaking. Speaking out loud, that's why God told us to say things about ourselves that he says and not what everybody else says. Please share. I just I just had a little a thing that I learned to do that might be helpful to somebody. Sure. I, instead of, uh, like when I catch myself doing something wrong or something that, you know, it, it's just not me. Uh-huh. Then what I just do is I just say thanks for forgiving me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's like, good. Because he's already forgiven me. Yes. So. So you're expressing gratitude awesome. that it's already done. And he loves that. So, yeah, that's good. Just give it to him. Does anybody else have anything in closing here? Everybody good? Connie, go ahead. 
I'll just share something real quick. Yeah. You, you gave the scripture out of Romans about um, to those that, um, you know, receive. And Connie Witter did that Bible study last year. And that word um, receive in the in the Greek is the word lambano. I think yeah. I shared that once yeah. before. And but that word learning what that word meant mm -hmm. really helped me a lot to embrace, start to really take it personally, my my identity, because um, the other lady that was doing the study with her one day showed, um, she said, look, the word lumbano, it's not like you're giving it just this little weak handshake. It's mm -hmm. something you reach out and you grab it and yes. you take it and you put it, you bring it to yourself. You mm -hmm. make this your own. So. Excellent. It's good. That's a, that's a really good teaching. When we're talking about receiving, it's that word lumbano and you, you got to take. God put it on the table. You got to eat it. Just take it with boldness, you know, take it like your four-year-old takes fries off your plate, you know what I'm saying, these are my fries, you know, <laughs> amen, all right, cool, it's good, I just want to pray over all this real quick, I just feel like there's one more thing to do here, so, and those watching online too, um, just receive this, Father, I just, we just, I thank you, if there's anybody here that has been operating um, in behavior, here or online, behavior that's not who they are, and it's brought a sense of condemnation to them and robbed them of the reality of their forgiveness. Lord, I just I thank you that, that today, that, that, that the chapter is closed on that condemnation, and it ends today. And Lord, they take up out of their own mouth who they are in Christ. And Lord, I just thank you that by your Spirit, um, you unction them to say, just like you did with Abraham, Lord, that he would begin to call himself who you call him. Lord, I, I, we thank you for that. And I just thank you that things broken off of our lives, off of everyone's life, Father. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. If you need to give out this morning, lift your hand up. We'll get one to you. Those of you watching online, if you want to give, go to gracepointgeorgetown.com. You guys can partner with our ministry. Those of you that do partner with our ministry, thank you so much. We appreciate you. And I just want to say one other thing real quick that was brought to my attention. Not only did Abraham change the way he talked about himself, how many of you he changed the way he talked about his wife? And here's the thing that that not only understanding this will it oh yeah not only understanding this will it change the way you talk about yourself how many will change the way you talk about other people you'll know nobody according to the flesh amen and you'll speak life over people because you because the thing about it is when we're under condemnation we have a tendency we want to condemn other people we don't realize we're condemning them we're just mad at ourselves and we start being mad at the people around us but how many know condemnation perpetuates itself like a fire and we need to put that fire out on the cross amen. Okay, cool. Fantastic. Lord, we ask you to bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen.